Hello, everybody. Welcome to day 10 of the 7 a.m. Novelist 50 Day Writing Challenge First Draft Edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Um, I just want to go back to the reason why we're doing this, and it's to bring writers together, to make you guys feel heard, to give you some support, all while we're trying to do this crazy thing together. So I hope you don't mind if I take a little tangent at first before we really get going with Megna. Uh, I want to dedicate this particular episode to writer Brian Dulock. I went to grad school with Brian at the UMass Amherst MFA, and we lost Brian this week. I think he must have been in a very dark place. Um, but he was an incredible writer, an incredible spirit, an incredible person. Um, so I just wanted to read, start us off with listening to some of uh, a paragraph of his work. And I'll post this later. If you have a JSTOR account, you'll be able to access the whole thing. I couldn't find something that wasn't behind a firewall. But this is Brian Dulac's, uh, the beginning of his short story of Final Brooklyn. Um, so hopefully this can kind of start our writing day by, by feeling like you're being read to. Um, a Final Brooklyn. My father died bowling. I could say my father died or my father is dead. But I don't just say my father died as dead. I say the part about the bowling. I feel I should mention the bowling because my father loved bowling. He was a good bowler. He once bowled a 299, one pin short of a perfect game, the six pin, he told me. It wobbled but refused to fall. My father's last minutes alive, I hear about from his good friend Smitty, who bowled on my father's team, who was there when my father died. This is how much my father bowled, how much he loved bowling, that he could and did bowl as well as he could, which was very well. A lot of lifetime bowlers go to their graves without chalking up a perfect or almost perfect game. Really, most of them never make it. The pros all get their share of perfect games, but regular 40 hour a week plus occasional overtime office guys like my father who bowl in a weekly league rarely get near it. But my father got as near to it as he could get. That's the start of his story. You can find it. It was in the Massachusetts Review in 2011. I also thought it was bring up a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, about goals, perfection, this crazy thing that we're all trying to do. Okay, so Magna has quietly been listening to this as I've been getting going. Thank you so much for being here, Magna. Uh, we're going to start, we're going to continue talking about character development, in particular, um, what characters need to learn. So Meghna Raganathan is, is a graduate of the Novel Incubator Program. So she's one of our students, and I always think of our students as my colleagues as well. Um, she is currently in the final stages of revision on two amazing novels. She's also interested in science journalism and has had articles printed in Scientific America. In her other life, she's a climate scientist and glaciologist, which I'm very excited about. She's interested in understanding how much ice will be lost from the Antarctic ice sheet due to climate change. So Magna, thank you so much for getting up early. She's actually taking a flight labor today, so she's really making time for us. Um, now, when I put out a call to, to possible guests for subjects, a subject list that I put together, um, Magda right, right away jumped on this idea of something that characters need to learn as part of um, character development. And I'm worried my mic is going in and out. Um, anyway, 
So, Megna, I'm going to ask you to um, talk to us about why you are interested about uh, character learning and why you think it's so important in terms of character development. Yeah, thank you so much, Michelle, for having me on. Um, I confess that this is the first time I've gotten up for the 7 a.m. portion of this, though I've been watching all the recordings, so it's really exciting to see everybody and actually get to participate live. I feel like this is motivating me to get up earlier more. Um, yeah, I was really excited about talking a little bit about what characters need to learn because in my perspective, I write a lot of very character-driven work. And so for me, this is the entire book is what the characters need to learn. That's the conflict is here's what the character is driving towards and here's what everything or what is happening around them and how they're interacting with all of the plot of the book. Fundamentally, it's all about what getting the character from, you know, being a flawed character in the beginning or having flaws to possibly having flaws at the end still, but having gained something and having learned something. Um, and I think that this was an exciting topic for me because it's something I've been working really hard at is trying to figure out not only how to take what the character needs to learn and understand it and know it as a writer, but how to convey it on a page in a way where you're not just the beginning saying, this is Amrita, here's what she needs to learn. By the end of the book, you'll see that she'll have learned it, but rather kind of bringing it out through actions and through our interaction with the, the central conflict. Um, and so for me, this is the whole book. So this is very exciting. Absolutely. And this is something that um, Lisa Brody talks about in the Save the Cat writes a novel. Um, and she talks about what does your character need to learn? And I've always thought about like, again, we talk about character flaws or, um, character weakness, um, which I think is um, important. Um, uh, sorry, I need to fix this. Um, because, sorry, I'm fixing the chat. Um, character flaws and, and character weakness because we are much more interested in um, broken characters. I mean, if a character is actually perfect, um, we're just not invited in. We don't see ourselves reflected in who they are. Um, and uh, that's part of the humanity that we're looking for in the characters. It's, it's, it's part of, um, gosh, I don't, I don't believe fiction should be written in order to teach people things. Um, but I do think we read in order to learn something ourselves yeah. um, but so I didn't always feel like my students or even myself always got it um, until and when I talked about character weaknesses and this sort of thing until I talked about well what does your character need to learn and that seemed to make a difference and that seemed to feel better for people because people didn't like to think about character weaknesses or character flaws does that is there something different about it for you Megna? Yeah absolutely I think that I do feel like everybody has flaws or everybody has, nobody is like the perfect human. And so creating a realistic character necessarily and requires creating characters that have, you know, what other people might consider positive attributes and negative attributes. But for me, the reason that thinking about it as what the character needs to learn is so powerful is because it allows for books um, that I tend to like to read and write in which the character is not necessarily figuring out how to change themselves, but rather learning their place in the world and learning to accept parts of themselves that maybe society doesn't accept initially. 
So for example, the book that I've been working on recently is about, um, is, you know, related to my scientific life, but about a woman in science who is naturally very quiet and very kind of reserved and not, you know, outwardly self-confident all the time. And a lot of the book is her coming to terms with the fact that's an okay thing to be, that even though society doesn't necessarily understand how to relate to somebody who, you know, is a little bit quieter and, you know, maybe doesn't like to put themselves out there all that much, that, you know, you can still have a place in the world and not have that outward self-confidence that everybody seems to kind of expect from people, especially people in science and especially women in science. So that journey to understanding that maybe I don't need to change, maybe I just need to find my place in the world or maybe be okay that other people don't accept this part of me, I think was something that the character needed to learn, but maybe not something about her she needed to change or a flaw that needed to change. I love that because women and other marginalized people are oftentimes told that they need to learn something or that something's wrong with them or they need to change. Um, And so the way you're approaching this, it makes so much more sense. Um, And it's just, and it's more, it's more of, it's more powerful, I think for characters. So I really, that's, I think that's really, really important. Um, And also it reflects Um, something we think about in terms of when you, when you are writing a book or a story, you think about the the story arc, Mm -hmm. um, which is usually how does the, how does the world change? How does the situation of the story change? Um, What, what, what is the situation of the world at the beginning and what is it at the end? And then your character arc, which also includes change again, though, change in the, can be change in the way that you're talking about. Um, and how do these, and these two changes won't, they, they usually will reflect um, what your story means in the end. Um, so I think, um, I'm trying to remember, Matthew Salise, uh in his wonderful uh, craft book, and we're going to talk more about him later, he talks about a Tintin story in which um, at the end of the story, uh, it seems like Tintin is really happy and his, his owner or buddy is really happy and they're back together again, but they've also like bombed something <laughs> and they've stolen a priceless artifact from somewhere else. So <laughs> Matthew Salise was really questioning if this is a happy ending. So, so and again, so the world in that Tintin story, and I'm not, I'm not articulating the whole story correctly because I haven't read the story. The, the world goes south mm-hmm. and the characters become happy and, uh, and join together. So what is that? What kind of story is that? That's a little twisted. So if that's something that you want to say, <laughs> yeah. then, then go ahead and say it. But you do want to kind of be in control of that too, right? Um, because that can create a very difficult, <laughs> uh, thing that your story is getting across and you do want to be in control of that. Okay. So Christine in our Q and a is saying, do you often draw characters from real life, uh, relatives or friends, which is a very good question because I think that that puts the onus on what characters need to learn that that makes it much more difficult. Yeah, I think what I do. So whenever I start conceiving of a story, I almost always start with this idea of what a character needs to learn, because for me, again, that's, that's everything. Um, and it's really a question of what is it that I want to, what, what I want this book to say when the character is learning something that's 
a way of me exploring some questions. So for my first book, it was me exploring this question of where, how do you relate to an ancestral identity when the ancestral identity is many generations removed? Um, And for the second book, it was, you know, how do I think about myself in relation to the world of science in relation to the world of science as a woman of color? And so that's kind of where I start and trying to figure out, well, what is it that I as a writer need to learn? And what does this character need to learn? Um, And so in that sense, great. Like, what is the writer that I need to learn as well? Yeah. And in that sense, since this is my way of exploring things that I've noticed, it's certainly drawn from real life in the sense that these are struggles that I've had or I've seen people have um, that I feel like I want to explore and better understand. I try to avoid replicating a real person um, in a character. And that's mostly because that makes it really hard to allow the character to fail over the course of a story, to allow the character to make bad choices. When it's somebody that I know I'm like, oh, this is this is my friend. I don't want them to to fail. And so I think that that's kind of the key difference is drawing from life, but making sure that the character has traits that don't connect them to directly to a person. Yes. And um, that also reminds me of the idea of even the dramatic question that can be uh, something that drives the plot of your book. So the dramatic question that is driving the plot could be will the character ever figure out how to X? Like a character learning question, which can also be um, something that the writer, him or herself, or themselves is trying to figure out. Um, And I know in Bottomland, I did that same thing. My question was uh, what happened to the two sisters after they disappeared? Um, And as I wrote the first draft, I was following that question because I didn't know. Um, And then I needed to go back to the beginning, but I was discovering it as my reader was discovering it. And so we can always use um, dramatic questions in that way to move us forward in the book. And actually what a character needs to learn gives us a lot of forward momentum instead of just what is their weakness or what is their flaw? What do they need to learn carries us into the time of a book. And the hardest thing about stories and novels is covering time. Um, So this gives us um, somewhere to go, something to look forward to. Um, So we get another question from Elizabeth. She's like, "Um, can you give us examples for how you show character learning on the page? Yeah. So I, I feel like the lines between like my science brain and my writer brain sometimes blur. So whenever I'm thinking about an idea. So for example, this idea of what does it look like to be a woman in science and how do I kind of explore that in a novel sense? And this question of, you know, what does it look like for a person to just be quieter in the world? I like to think about this in, um, I like to kind of start with my hypothesis of, you know, oh, oh, people should be able to be kind of quieter and maybe less outwardly self-confident and then let the character explore the flip side of that hypothesis. So let the character explore what if the answer to this question really is everybody needs to learn to be really loud and output their some put themselves out there. And so that's usually how I explore that on the page and get the character learning on the page is maybe have them explore them trying to be different, have the character explore this world in which she's trying to force herself to be 
put herself out there to be self-confident and what does that look like for her? And at least in the book, what I discovered and what I portrayed in the book is that it felt for the character like an out-of-body experience. You know, it felt like she was just trying to be a totally different person. It felt like a betrayal of herself. And so that's partially like a struggle of her trying to do something different and realizing that that doesn't work, realizing that that doesn't feel right to her. That's kind of learning on the page. And a lot of that kind of the mechanics of that comes from a lot of interiority, but also you can really show a character realizing that something isn't right from a lot of physicality. So you can tell like, you know, your muscles tense up, you feel uncomfortable, you you feel the physical symptoms of anxiety when you're in a position where something just doesn't feel right. Um, And a lot of that portrayal, I think can show the character that, you know, once you realize something isn't right, then your brain is like, oh, you know, something isn't right. We need to adjust the way that we're thinking. Excellent. And I love writing in from inside the body of the character. I know um, Juliet Faithful also has a question in the chat, um, always writes from inside the body and just remember that your characters have bodies <laughs> and it, and it makes them very tactical tell on the page. I also think about, um, so this idea of flaws or weaknesses or what a character needs to learn. I normally speak of it as the character's wound, um, <laughs> because what they need to learn is oftentimes to get over that wound. Um, Lisa Crone also talks about it as a, a misbelief that the character might have. So in, in some ways that Megna is talking about, the misbelief might be, I'm not good enough for this world, or I'm not fit for this world or this society. I'm not who they want me to be. Um, and they need to, to get over this misbelief and understand that they don't have to be those things. Um, and so the writer Josh Weil says, I find the character's wound and I poke a stick at it. And for him, that's what plot is. <laughs> so, and this is also why you're writing about this particular character at this particular point in time um, on this particular day or month or year and not some other time. Because what you're doing is trying to find the point in their life where you are revealing um, to us that that moment when they change or learn the most, where they become most themselves. Um, and, And that's why you're writing about that person at that particular time. So finding their wound or finding what they need to learn and then putting them in a place that forces them that they can, because they probably have needed to learn it for a very long time. Yeah. So why do they need to learn it right now? (laughs) And so something needs to happen externally that forces them into a place where they need to make a jump, where they need to to, um, make some sort of change or undo a misbelief. And again, that could be a change in how they understand that they misfit from the world. Um, that's very common. And I think that's Um, where this conversation ties in with the conversation you had a few days ago about what the character wants. I feel like when what the character wants lines up with what they need to learn, that's kind of when the the book is kind of wrapped up in a nice little bow. Yes. Um, And that's usually kind of whenever I'm plotting, that's usually my next step is first, what does the character need to learn? And then how do I construct something that they want that will make sure that they, they learn what they need to learn. Exactly. And, but they probably won't understand that, that what they want and what they need to learn is the same thing or should be the same thing until the climax moment. Um, When I generally think of that, their external desires and their external journey comes together with their internal desires and their internal journey. Um, 
because again, oftentimes we focus on exactly the wrong thing in terms of what we want in, in terms of our goals. And it's not necessarily gonna get us what we need to learn. And it's only at that, that crisis or climax moment where the two need to come together and the, and the um, character has a deeper, we don't really write epiphanies in fiction anymore, but a, a deeper uh, subtle realization um, of, of, of what is really going to get them there. And they might not achieve it in the book. Um, and so that's, that's useful as well. Excellent, all right. Um, and we also had Juliet ask about, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday, how do you not protect your characters? Because again, finding a character's wound and, and pointing a stick at it is not very comfortable for your characters. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you find yourself protecting your characters? You know, I feel like I'm usually the opposite. I feel like I'm almost, I almost end up like being too harsh on my characters and giving them too like strong flaws and character traits. And I always end up having to dial back. And I think that's mostly because the way I, I really think about my writing is an exploration of a question that I want to ask. So for example, I want to ask this question of what does it look like to be a quiet woman in the world? And my way of testing that is really putting my character in a place in which they're incredibly uncomfortable and testing whether what, what the response of that character is. And so I end up thinking that this, this character is a way of me exploring a question and the character exploring a question. And therefore, you know, the character can't necessarily can't be protected in that case for that question to get explored. Um, perhaps that's a very, um, pragmatic and opportunistic way of viewing my characters. But for me, it's like, this is what needs to happen for the character to, to truly evolve and think about this question. Right. And so in your, your incubator novel that you were working on, I mean, we have a character that's very, um, feels very good in her American life. And yet, because of the death of a family member, she's drawn back to India to fulfill a request and she doesn't want to go and she doesn't really want to get enmeshed in family history and family um, difficulties there. And so that forces her to deal with something that she's been trying to ignore. Um, and, then, and it creates the whole plot for her. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's an example of, of of what we're doing here. Um, someone else wanted us to expand on the comment, characters have bodies. What do we mean with that? What do I mean? I think I said that. What do you think? Um, I think that for me, my, my react, because so much of my thinking about these questions happens in my head that I end up like my first drafts are all basically interiority. It's all my characters kind of sitting around thinking about things. And I think the comment characters have bodies is just a reminder that we are trying to construct a 3D world within this novel in which the characters necessarily need to be interacting with the world around them. They have physicality, they have bodies, not everything's just happening in their head. And so something that I always end up going back in like the second draft and subsequent draft is going back and taking a lot of that stuff that's happening in the character's head and putting it into a way in which they're interacting with the world around them because it's always more interesting to read when you know a character is like bawling their fists from anger rather than them thinking oh i'm really angry um, one is just kind of elicits a more emotional response for the reader um, and it just 
more interesting and more understandable to read. Um, and so the way I read at least your comments was a reminder that your, our characters can and should be interacting with the world around them, having physical responses and not just having everything happen in their heads. Yeah, and even trying to go beyond what we normally think of as the, the usual gestures or the physical responses so that it becomes very individual to the character. Um, so that the things that they are doing with their bodies and how they feel with their bodies are very individual to them and not what we would assume for like an everyman character. Um, I have another, Anne also asked, what if your character has an irreconcilable conflict how do you end the novel? That's tough. So I think, I mean, I don't want to, if one day this book is published, I don't necessarily want to give away the ending, but I think that was the situation that I ran into with the second book about the world of science. And that I think, despite the fact that I'm still in the world of science, the conclusion I came to was that it's just really almost impossible for a person with the physical, with the traits of just being a really quiet woman of color and that's who you are is incredibly difficult to be in that world. And so the irreconcilable conflict was, you know, there's no way of dramatically altering the way that the world of science works or the way that society works in order for this person, this character to feel like they can be themselves. Um, and in the end, the answer was just for that character to leave. It was for the character to leave science and say, you know, I couldn't find a way for myself to be in this world. I'm going to go and find a different world. And while the conflict necessarily wasn't resolved, the internal agency that she got to be like, the way that I am is worth finding a place for me, even if this is not the place, was what that character had to learn. So even if the conflict itself of the novel necessarily wasn't resolved, the character still learned something positive towards the end that made, hopefully, the readers feel positive about her journey moving forward after the book. So that's usually how I, how I think about that at least. And Judith says, um, well, the character basically just opted out. That's the resolution, which is actually, I do think the, the understanding, again, the character has a goal and the understanding that the goal is no longer useful for the character might yes. be exactly what the character needs to learn. So it's not an opt-out, is it? Well, it's choosing not to buy into that particular goal anymore and to that necessarily that particular system or set of values and rules that a society is set up in. And so um, you actually, instead of, of saying, well, I can't um, reconcile this conflict, it's it, the conflict itself uh, might need to be reevaluated by the characters and even by the novelist in terms of would it even be a good thing for the novel for the characters for this conflict to even be reconciled, right. or it, does it does there need to be something else that's learned, something else that's that's moved forward? I also think this is also why a lot of writers who are writing about uh, women or marginalized characters do write in fantasy. Um, and write, you know, you have the Afro uh, futurism movement. So you have writers using worlds and creating worlds in which they actually have agency and when, and then they don't have to deal with the crap of the actual real world um, because they might be actually tired of, of writing that sort of thing. And yeah. they want to write a different sort of story in which their character might have more power. Um, so one last thing, and I'm going to let you guys go. Mary says, that Magna needs to consider writing a children's book teaching about climate change. 
Oh, I would love to. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that would be a great send up. So Magna, that's going to be your next book after you finish awesome. these two books. Okay. So thank you so very much, Magna, for being on with us. Thank, thank you. you everyone for being a part of this discussion. I hope you got something out of it today um, and have a fantastic writing day and we will see you all tomorrow. Bye. How you sift for a love in the sand Like a leaf inside the wind And you go where it tells you to go But you never wonder why There is an 